Now I think I see everybody looking at these sheets here. So now I have like a I have a, a task to actually talk about these, uh, which I'll try to do. That'll be that'll be good. I'll try to do that. Um, but if you can pry yourself away from them and put them down for a second, and we are on sort of our sixth point about why care? Why care about the New Testament's pattern for the church? Is one there? Why do I care? Um, let's just calm our hearts. And even though we've already asked the Lord to help us, I'm going to ask the Lord to help us be efficient with the time that we have because I may not come back down here for you know years and talk about this. And so while I've got time with you guys, he knows what you need to hear, so... Let's just stop for a minute and talk to him directly. Our Father in heaven, we speak to you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that the Lord Jesus Christ would be pleased with this request. And that is that you would help us to use the time that we have here um, this morning to go through uh, some different points efficiently, Lord. Help us to remember certain things, Father. Help us to think about things. Lord, you know the culture we live in. You know the world that we live in. We want to share what we have. We want to live what we have. We want others to appreciate it and to enjoy it. Um, sometimes they don't. Often they don't. So we ask that you would help us to know how to um, be part of the wider body of Christ with the truth that we have and to live it and to share it um, and to be obedient at the same time. We pray this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we were talking about the fact that you can see in the New Testament that the apostles had a body of truth and doctrine. And Paul says it over and over again. And then we looked at a verse where Paul talks about passing it on to other people. Let me give you a couple other verses that really highlight this concept. And why am I saying that? I'm saying that to then suggest that we, we, need, to be, we need to take serious the idea that maybe there was something specific that the apostles had in their minds and wanted the church to do. Um, you know, if we talk about marriage, for example, there's some real specifics that we see in Scripture and say, hey, this is what the Scripture teaches. We don't want to mess with this. We talk about um, life or salvation. We don't treat that as something that you just, hey, you know, any gospel message you want. Paul actually said, if anybody preaches another gospel, what we preach, let me be anathema. So when it comes to the church, and we were looking at verses that might have really suggested that this was the only institution the Lord left on earth, if the Lord died for the church, I mean, isn't there anything that the Lord, does he have an opinion on it? Would he have left the apostles without some specific teaching to pass on? I think he gave specific teaching. So anyhow, look at these verses. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says something interesting. Now, I could be accused with the way that I use this. I'm taking it a little bit out of context, but I think I'm, I'm not too far off. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. This is Paul talking to the elders of Ephesus, but he's not in Ephesus because there was a lot of persecution in Ephesus. He meets them at a, a coastal town called Miletus, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. Everybody kind of knows he's going to get arrested at Jerusalem. He's going to have sort of a last conversation with them. And he says this to them in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Or, well, actually, um, verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. What does he mean by that? For I have not shunned 
to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's interesting. How are you guilty of people's blood by not giving the counsel of God to them? Well, primarily that would look at least at the gospel. God has a counsel. God has his will. God had teaching and truth that he gave the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, I, I have done my job. I have passed all of it on to you. I haven't, I haven't given you 75% of the counsel of God's will. I've given the whole counsel of God to you, to the elders. And so he says, now it's on you guys, basically. You can't point and say, well, Paul didn't tell us that. Paul talks about the stewardship that he was given. He was given truth, mysteries to teach the church. And he taught them. My question is, does our local church, for example, do the same thing? If there's all of this truth and all of this doctrine, and Paul talked about the whole counsel of God and how it was to be passed on to people, do we have that same sense of, hey, we're, we're going to do that here too. We're going to make sure that we're taking the believers at this local church through truth, through doctrine, making sure everybody's getting what we see in the Scripture. Obviously, it takes time and years. We're trying to do that. I, I want to I commend the assembly here for, 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 for seeming to have some type of a deliberacy about teaching. A lot of local churches I go to, they're just, they have, there's, there seems to be no plan at all for any kind of teaching. Um, and and I, I don't think that we should have a local church that has no room for open ministry, 1 Corinthians 14. I'm obviously just off the track here now, talking about some practical things, uh, of, of just times when, the, when, when a speaker comes and just teaches what's on their heart. But on the other hand, I think we don't want to, ha- we want to be balanced there. I think you see both in the New Testament a time where people can come and teach openly and just give what God has given to them, but also a local church is organized and orderly about teaching the counsel of God's word. They're passing, they're doing 2 Timothy 2 too, right? So the elders at a local church can say, yes, we are doing 2 Timothy 2 too. Yes, we are doing Acts 20 verse 70. We're passing on the whole counsel of God. We're trying to do that here. I think the local, I'd like to see local churches in Florida you know, do more of that. And that's one of the things that I'm, I, I'm desirous to be involved in is trying to help New Testament pattern assemblies make sure that they're doing that throughout the years. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians, and let's start at chapter 1. Watch what Paul says several times in his letters to the Corinthians. Did Paul intend for what he wrote in this epistle to sort of be just for them? Well, he says in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ to the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It kind of pulls in the whole church in general, at least in those first few verses. All right? To the church of God, which is at Corinth. They're called saints with all the church. But you, you often see, well, you don't often, you see in another place, for example, I think in the epistle to the Corinthians, Colossians, he says, you read this epistle, the epistle to the Laodiceans, and make sure they read your epistle. He brings that up. I think the apostles knew well that their books would be read, their letters would be read, and wrote 
not just specifically for that local church only, but with other things in, in, in mind. And that's exactly what the church did. They then took these epistles and traded them around and copied them and studied them. Watch this. Turn to chapter 4, verse 17. He brings in all the churches, at least in his citation. Then he says this. He says, For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Paul not only had this strong concept of truth and doctrine, he apparently taught consistently in certain things everywhere and in every place. Look at chapter 7, verse 17. What am I doing? What, what, are you lost? What I'm doing is I am showing you verses that I think, I don't mean like, are you guys easy to be lost? But have I lost you? Not because I'm so smart, but just because I'm not that clear. Um, I'm listing verses out that I think really make the point that we can't just be wishy-washy about truth. The apostles had a clear sense of truth, a clear sense of doctrine. He taught the same things in the assemblies that he went to. Uh, I think you can make this point pretty well. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17 says this. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. He's talking about marriage, right? Notice this little clause here. And so I ordain in all the churches. He just kind of lets that slip. But he's, he's telling you, I talk about this and I say this in other local churches or assemblies. Chapter 11, 16. This is at the end of a discussion on the veiling of sisters or women. In the assembly, he says this. If anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom. And I believe that refers to a custom of being contentious against teachers. Uh, not a, not a, not a, we have no custom of veiling now that I've just spent a bunch of time talking about why you should veil. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. He says, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God or the assemblies of God. By the way, Christ Psalm, an early church father, I'm pretty sure it was Christ Psalm says that Paul talked to the, a lot of the early churches used the veil. Uh, evidence of the fact that it was taught in multiple places, and I'm not, not here to talk about that this morning, but um, it's, you just study the history of that one topic. It's a very interesting piece of church history. All right, here's another verse, 1 Corinthians 14.33. Over a page or two. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silence in the churches. Did I mess with the, uh, the verses there? No, if you actually get out a commentary and look, it's probably more likely that that's the way that these verses should be read. They probably shouldn't be split where they are. Again, the phrases would be that, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Period. As in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but they are to be as submissive as the law also says. Okay? Now, the point there is not to get into the issue, the issue of, of speaking in the church, but to say that as another verse it says, as in all of the churches, this is what's going on. I, I'm just giving you a neat list of verses that seem to imply that Paul taught and had a sense of 
teaching in all the local churches the same things. Because a lot of people come along and they'll say, well, that's just for corn, or that's just something that was very localized, or that was just for then. Um, when I put all these verses together, this truth, 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 doctrine, 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 pass these things on, the whole counsel of God, I teach the same in all the local churches, that type of thing, I see a pretty decent argument here for paying attention to the particulars. That's basically where I'm going with this point. I know it takes a long time to get there. I hope you find those, those references useful. But, um, but let me give you one last one, and this is very, very bold. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look at this. He says in verse 35, he's talking about uh, the verbal participation of women in the church. Maybe it was the issue of whether or not women were allowed to be involved in the discussion or the review of prophetic utterances. Um, some people are open to whether or not there were, there were female prophets in the church. Philip had daughters that were prophetesses. Uh, some say they didn't prophesy in the church. Others say, what's the point of prophecy? It's for the church. Um, and some believe that they did prophesy in the church, but then Paul here says they're not allowed to then engage in teaching on whether or not, you know, or, or review it or that type of thing. Not, not to get into that. I don't know that I'm really that qualified to get into it. But then he says this. Verse 35 is shameful for women to speak in the church. Or then he says this, or did the word of God come originally from you? So they were doing something in the church. And they were maybe taking a little bit of a confident position, like, hey, we don't need to get, get in line, that type of thing. He says, did the word of God come originally from you? Did the truth come out of Corinth? Or was it only to you that it reached? Do you guys have the truth only? Now look at this phrase. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual... Let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Wow. Wow. What's the standard for spiritual truth? What's the standard for a prophet? <laughs> Their teaching needs to align with the, the teaching of the Apostle Paul. The point is, is that, again, he had an authoritative sense of this is the truth. I mean, in other words, if he was just given some, some general teachings to sort of pass on, you wouldn't say that. But if this is the word of God and you need to agree with it, it makes sense that he would say something like that. Um, so I'm going I'm to leave that point and I'm going to go into three points that I think are very, very interesting that I'll, I'll, I think will be practical for you. I hope they'll, they'll, we'll get into these sheets here and I hope they'll, they'll sort of educate your thinking about local churches maybe for years to come. And, and I'm still growing in this area so I'm open to feedback. I'm open to biblical correction. Uh, I really appreciate Brother Malcolm this week, and he's asked me several times, give me a verse. Give me a verse. Does he ask you guys that? Because you're laughing. That's good. We need more of that. We don't get that. I mean, you, you, that's what keeps people sharp. Okay? Um, all right. Here we go. This would be a seventh point, but we're going to kind of get into some three. I'm going to give you three specific points. Point seven, eight, and nine, I think are gonna, I want you to really pay attention to. And if you, if you miss a lot of the other things, try to keep these in your mind, okay? I mentioned to you that I have trained myself to talk about New Testament pattern churches, okay? Um, let me tell you a little story about how this came about. I was, I don't know if I should tell you this morning or, or, or save it for tomorrow, because I, I like to kind of pass some of these things on to, to the rest of the assembly when they're here. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll say it again, but I work with assembly care. 
and I'm not going to talk about the whole story of assembly care, but one of the things that we wound up doing was helping with the assembly directory. And we inherited a list of commended workers, people like me that were commended by local churches to the Lord's work. And so we're putting names in, and there's sort of been, over the last couple of decades, a little bit of an issue over who is listed and who isn't. As these New Testament ch- pattern churches have started to differ a little bit, we'll say since the 70s. And so I was thinking about these kind of things, and I'm kind of involved in this. And then I get this call from a brother in Kansas, and he knew I had lived in Dallas. And he says to me, there are t- these two local churches that are a little more prominent in Dallas. And he says to me, is... We'll just call them local church A and local church... Are local church A and local church B in Dallas, are they assemblies? Well, I'll give you the names. Is, is Community Bible Church and Believer's Chapel in Dallas, Texas, assemblies? Um, and forgive me if I mess this up. Um, I think S. Lewis Johnson taught at um, Believer's Chapel. And um, I'm not sure who is at Community Bible Church, but... They, 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 they've been connected with, with the work of Dallas and some of the, the professors, that type of thing, okay? So, but they also had a connection with New Testament pattern assemblies in their history. Um, and so I knew what he was asking me. What he was really wanting me to do is say, what category, can we put these guys in the box or are they out of the box? Are they in our group or are they out of our group? It's group-esque language. And I thought, and I said to him, I was like, now, what is, I mean, how do I answer from the Bible on that one? And I thought, I said, you know what? In the New Testament, there are only ecclesia, ecclesiae. They are only assemblies. In the New Testament, there are not assemblies and then churches. Right? There's only one word for gatherings of believers. It's assemblies. And so technically, which we like to do, we like to be technical with biblical language. We like to be specific about it. Any gathering of believers, if we use biblical language, is an assembly. An assembly is what? It is a called out company. It's a group of believers that assemble together you know, to do what the church does. And it dawned on me, I think, then and there, that I had grown up among believers that had taken a general biblical term and had turned it into a technical term with additional layers of meaning attached and had gotten used to using that term in that way over a few generations. And as a result, you'll meet people that will talk about, well, I'm from the assemblies. You know, I go to an assembly. But what they mean by that is not just I go to a local church, it's a gathering of believers. They mean I go to a local church that breaks bread on the first day of the week, that has biblical eldership and, and, and these different things. And they might have six or seven things in their mind. And then they come over to another person, they have Malcolm on the phone, and they say, or they call people up and they ask questions like this, hey, is this an assembly? The problem is, is that what if I don't have the same things in my mind as this person does? And then we're kind of, you know, there's, well, this, well, that. And, and so there's this whole cloud kind of complicating the use of this term. And so as I thought about it, I began to think about this reality that, you know what? There are assemblies of believers. There, there are local churches. What this guy was asking me literally was, is community Bible church and believers chapel, are, are they churches? If you take the wording literally, 
If you say, are they assemblies, you're really asking, are they churches? And, and, and so then I realized, you know what? The New Testament gives us a pattern singular of behaviors that the early church did and practiced. And so what I wanted to start doing is not saying, is that an assembly? But is that a New Testament patterned assembly? Is this assembly practicing the New Testament's pattern or not? You see that there? Now, I've said this to some people, and they just hear what they're used to hearing the whole time. I mean, I, I remember spending, you know, 30 minutes. I was talking to the local church, and I was trying to make this distinction. A guy comes up, he's like, yeah, we need more brethren churches, man. I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to work away from that a little bit and, and get us back to more biblical terminology. And so there is a pattern in the New Testament that the early, the early church practiced. We want to practice it. And local churches are all assemblies in one sense, but the question is, is are they New Testament patterned assemblies? Are they New Testament patterned churches? And then, and then as I thought of it, and this kind of gets down to this. I've obviously uh, gone on a little rabbit trail, so let's just follow a little bit. This gets down to this sheet. As I began to think about this, I said, you know what? The, the, local churches all, if they're, if they're filled with believers, probably practice some aspect of the New Testament's pattern, right? I mean, if you have a local church that's filled with believers, it's not like they're not doing anything that the early church did. In reality, they're probably doing some things, and they're not doing other things. And so, look at me real quick. So, so the New Testament's pattern would kind of be like a spectrum that local churches sort of fall on, some more New Testament pattern than others. Now, I believe we can praise the Lord for the, the revival, the the, the, the the Plymouth Brethren movement speak historically. And a lot of churches that descended from that have a better understanding of more of the New Testament's pattern than a lot of churches. But I'm trying to kind of get myself back onto terminology that reflects reality more because I've seen a lot of people struggle with, how do you communicate with other people on this issue? And so what I tell people today is I say, look, I'm from a New Testament pattern church because if I think the word assembly is going to throw them, then I just say church. If it's from somebody with the same background, I say I have a New Testament pattern assembly. And here's what I think of when I think of this. This is an incomplete. I threw this together one day. This is a rough draft, okay? So do not beat me up over this. But it's, it's just it's an illustration. We'll call it for that. I'd like to sort of work on it. Before. And I gave you one page out of a larger document. And here's what I did. I basically listed off, and, and I'd love for some of you to take this and to get back to me with some thoughts. I listed off things that the New Testament church did. I, in my mind, all of these things together make up the pattern singular. And you could put even more in here. For example, the New Testament church engaged in regular evangelistic outreach. Now, I put weekly. I mean, you know, how do you define regular? But I think we could turn to verses and say, you know, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. They went everywhere preaching the gospel. I mean, you could, you could turn to verses like that. Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Okay? That would be an, that would be an aspect of the New Testament's pattern for the church. The Lord told the apostles to preach the gospel till the end of the age. I'll, I'll be with you while you're preaching the gospel till the end of the age, he said. So I don't think that evangelism ended, you know, in, in 75 AD. It's going on till the end of the age. I mean, they were known by their love for one another. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, come on. I mean, Paul makes a huge point about this. You can do all the ministry you want, but if you don't have love, and this was the new commandment. They were, they were to love one another as I loved there are certain things that, that, that the Lord gives the church in the Gospels with a view to uh, their, their future, especially in the upper room ministry. 
Other characteristics. They were steadfast in fellowship. Where does that come from? Acts 2.42. These are all little, like a diamond, little facets of the one singular pattern. They were steadfast in They steadfastly prayer. They steadfastly taught the apostles' doctrine. They gathered to break bread steadfastly, weekly. They were shepherded by men gifted to pastor or shepherd and possessing the qualifications in Timothy and Titus. Notice I put the word quality there. Okay? Part of the pattern was that there were people there that had real character when they were leading. They didn't just get anybody to lead. You know? Oh, it's a great business guy. Hey, you'd be our leader. No, they, they, they had these characteristics. Another aspect is that they, had, um, they, were, they were shepherded by a plurality of, of, of shepherds. There are two different things. There's quality and quantity in the New Testament. I mean, I'm just, you know, I could keep reading down through these things. They differentiated between men and women's roles. Uh, they carried out church discipline. They, uh, they enjoyed an open meeting format, 1 Corinthians 14. You could go list verses for all these. Okay, so you get, you get the point so far. These things and others together, kind of like a bunch of train cars, make up the New Testament's pattern for the church. Now, to what extent is a local church New Testament patterned. I think that some churches are more New Testament patterned than others, but that there's not a group you can put them in. And I made this up to help local churches think about the extent to which they were New Testament patterned. I mean, there's a, a lot of different things I'd like to talk about here. Uh, for example, you meet people that are at a local church that descended from the so-called Brethren movement that aren't doing a lot of things that are on this list. Because literature that they read when they were young people, let me get you a book that some of you will recognize, okay? Assembly Distinctives by Harold McKay. Great booklet. This booklet emphasizes some distinctives. What's distinctive? Something that makes you unique or different. Distinct from what was generally going on in local churches. Well, if you're raised, and you know, and this is the main book that you might have read about the New Testament pattern for the church, if you're thinking about a certain aspect of the New Testament's pattern, and you're focusing on that, Biblical eldership, breaking bread. These were things that other local churches weren't doing. And so people would write a book and say, hey, we need to start doing these. But you can accidentally think about these things so much that you forget about the other things that other local churches maybe have been doing. Am I making a point there? So focused on distinctive that sometimes people forget that there's more to the New Testament's pattern for the church than just these things. Now, these are extremely important. That's why I'm here. That's why we're doing this. But it is sad to see a local church talk about itself like it's all that because it descended from a movement that the Holy Spirit enacted because they're breaking bread and they've got biblical eldership. Well, they're not sharing the gospel. They don't have love one for another. They're abandoning other aspects of the New Testament pattern for the church. So my point again is that I think rather than thinking in group terms, we are in the assemblies because that's denominational in a sense. That, the whole, that whole movement started to get away from that kind of language back to we have a gathering center, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, and I might talk a little bit more about history. But So what I did was I put this, this, this document together, and what you can do is you could take it and you could basically say this. You could say, is my local church, it'd be neat if, if several people did this, is my local church engaged in regular evangelistic outreach. Now, I put three things in this column because as I began to think about this, I was like, well, it's more complicated than that. I mean, I've already made it really complicated. Maybe not. 
I put the three, three columns here. There are truths that are not taught in local churches. You could say, hey, we just don't even talk about this. Caring for widows, nobody's ever heard of that. All right, I do have this down here. That was a pattern in the early church, a part of the pattern. Well, the second column, you could circle that. You could say, well, we don't, we don't talk about it, we don't teach it, I'm going to circle that, you get a score of zero. <laughs> you get no points for that one. Second column, well, we talk about it, we profess it, we say that, but we don't really do anything about it. That's, you see that, too, in the local churches. That's one of my dad's big concerns for, for a lot of, quote-unquote, evangelical churches. They have a doctrinal statement that's not being lived out inside. You can look on a church's website and they believe in this, 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 and this. And you go visit them and they're just kind of sliding along and not doing a lot of things, not really practicing it. So you could circle that. Well, we talk about it, we teach it, you'd get the idea, but we don't really do anything about it. And then thirdly, we clearly teach it and we practice it. You see that? I felt like I had to bring that into the picture because that's a big part of your local church experience. And so I just listed out a number of different things, and you could take this and you could circle things and sort of get a score. And, and sort of, it's just a little tool to help you think about wow, local churches are following or not following, teaching or not teaching the New Testament's pattern for the church in a way that's a little bit more complicated than just calling somebody on the phone and saying, hey, is that an assembly? Because the New Testament doesn't ask that. And here's what, here's, this has happened to me over the last year or two. My desire has moved from trying to find out who's in a group and who's not in a group, not to the foolish ground of sarcasm that I see in some people in my generation because they had a bad relationship in somebody with a New Testament pattern church and so they thrown the baby out with the bathwater and like, well, I'm not brethren anymore. Well, great, neither am I. But I have a passion for the New Testament pattern for the church. You need to resolve your relationship problem and stop connecting doctrine with a personality issue. But is not to talk about who's in one group and who's not in a group, but to say, how can we help all churches to be more New Testament patterned? Is there something that is in the New Testament that our local church is not doing? Can we be more New Testament patterned? You know, I'm moving in the New Testament pattern direction. I'm shuffling my feet across the ground here. All right, I'm actually setting up a website called ntpchurch.com where I'd like to put some stuff like this on it to help church planners and just pastors and people coming out of other local churches or coming out of Bible college to say, listen, in an EV-free, not EV-free, in, an, in, in um, a world of, of emerging churches, that was the other E, or seeker-sensitive churches or all these other patterns, have you ever considered New Testament pattern ecclesiology for your church? Um, there is a, a Baptist church two doors down the road from us. Rather than say, well, they're Baptist and we're brethren, which... I think is denominational to the core. And certainly you hear a lot of people from plat platforms talk about the Baptists. You know, they're, they're part of the body of Christ. My desire would be to go to them and say, brothers, there's a real treasure house of, of, of blessing waiting for your church if you can move even in one step closer to the New Testament's pattern for the church. Just like there is a, if you have a local church, maybe they understand biblical eldership. Maybe they understand the value of uh, the, the symbolism of the head covering or, or a weekly breaking of bread, but they haven't been engaged in, in evangelism. They're not New Testament pattern in that aspect. You know what happens at local church when they start getting engaged in evangelism? You will see new life explode in that local church, just having to go out and share the gospel. And when people get a hold of even a piece of doctrine, it, it just it warms their spiritual life up. Can you imagine a local church starting to break bread on a regular basis if they really get a hold of what's going on there? 
Um, uh, so I'm just kind of abruptly coming into the middle of a, a message on reasons why we should care to talk about a little bit of my thinking about how I'm starting to think about, quote-unquote, assemblies. So now I talk about being from a New Testament pattern church because my generation, we all kind of want an identity. You know, they're like, well, this is where I, this is where I fall on the map. And I think it's more helpful to, to, to my generation and those that follow to be able to talk about what we do today more so than how much we line up with a historical group. And as I work with like directories and things like that, I want to know who is passionate about the New Testament's pattern for the church and doing something today more so than who has connections with a historical group. Right? I mean, what if I meet someone from a local church and, and you know, it was maybe a little more traditional in their setup and, and what their pastor left. I actually know of a group like this in New Orleans and they haven't hired a new pastor yet. And the elders have started to take on the work of the pastor. And they found out, guess what? We're doing the work. We maybe don't need to hire anybody. You know what they're doing? They're moving into a more New Testament pattern direction. Do I want to say to that local church, well, you didn't come from the same movement we came from, so we can't, we just can't talk. Or do I want to say, hey, praise the Lord, what can we do to support you as you move in a more New Testament pattern direction? So it's just kind of a paradigm shift for some people. It's kind of, but I think this is, this is biblically accurate. And that's kind of one of the things that, that uh, a concept, I hope I've made it clear some there that, that I wanted to share and get across. We have a few minutes left. Let me, let me give you three other reasons why you might want to uh, be involved in a New Testament pattern church. And they are as follows. Point number seven, and it'll get into this sheet. The New Testament's pattern... Does everybody want to stand up? Anybody feel like you need oxygen? Your brain needs oxygen and water. I'll make you do it anyways. Everybody stand up. There's going to be a pause on the audio. Poor guys have to edit the audio. Now they're going to have to cut it out. All right. That's an interesting question. Sometimes we let ceremonialism... I don't. I want to be respectful, but we let, we let some things dictate a little bit too much certain things. You know, you get a local church with five people. For some reason, there's still somebody standing up in a big auditorium behind a podium. And I'm like, you guys need to get into a nice, cozy room, get together, and meet that way. It just makes more sense. And yet some people are like, well, we still have to do the same things like we've always done them. We have to watch for that. All right. So I've introduced the concept of New Testament patterned churches. And we could talk more about that because you might have questions. Another reason, point seven, why you would want to be involved in a New Testament pattern church, and this one is significant, very significant, in addition to all that we've said, is that almost all of these aspects of the pattern point to spiritual principles. We already started talking about that when we just got, when we got started today. The pattern points to a principle. The pattern points to a principle. And you can, you can do this in your mind. And I've given you this handout. Think about one part of the New Testament pattern for the church. Breaking bread on the first day of the week. I think the scripture clearly says this is why the church came together. And maybe I'll talk about that tomorrow. Does that pattern point you to any spiritual principles? Nod your head vigorously. Yes. Yes. Um, it points us to the... Death, burial, and resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. The substitutionary work of the Lord. Points us to more than that. 
The one loaf points us to the issue of the fact that we're unified. It is not race that unifies the church. It is not economics that unifies the church. The reason that we might be sitting together in a building tomorrow morning breaking bread is not because we're so smart. It's not because we fought in a war together. It's because Christ died for all of our sins and we're in one body. The spiritual principle of, I mean, you need those kinds of things. I made this quick chart and it's incomplete. You can edit it. You can make it yourself. You can take this and put verses to it and preach it. I would love some help putting together a resource to fill this out, to go through each of the aspects of the New Testament's pattern. But just look at, look at this, for example. On the left side are spiritual principles. On the right side are, are various patterns. For example, the plurality of overseers in a local church rather than a single overseer that's sort of kind of doing all the work. Well, one of the spiritual principles is the fact that Christ is preeminent in the church. And if you have a local church where there is one person that is sort of the domineering leading figure, domineering might be negative, but it can get that way, you can clearly send the idea that this person is the head of this church. So much so that when you talk to people on the street, they'll be like, well, we were at pastor's church today, and pastor did this, and pastor did that. They don't even give the guy's name. Pastor this, and pastor that. And at some point, clearly, this is the central figure in the church. And, and, and I'm not saying they're doing it on purpose, but on accident, they are denying Christ his preeminence in the church. And so by having more than one shepherd, it's, you step a lot closer to the biblical idea that Christ is the chief shepherd, he's the son of the church, he's preeminent, and all of these men are just under shepherds, they're just doing the work while they're around. Now to a lot of people, that doesn't make a, big, a lot of difference. That's why I'm talking about why we should care, because apparently Christ cares a lot about these things. But if you've never heard that before, that, see, they say, they say familiarity breeds contempt. If you're so used to something, you might be like, I don't get the big deal. But if you've never heard that before, if you've been in a local church where there's one person that gets all the, you know, the focus, and you, you start to realize that, you can be like, wow, yeah, that's right, and, and really enjoy a spiritual principle. It's the spiritual principles that I think can radically enliven local churches. These are the things that we want people to enjoy and to come to understand. That Christ is the center. It's not a praise band. It's not a pastor. It's not a beautiful building. What if the building burns down? What if the pastor dies? What if music styles change? What then? How many people are going to local churches because they've got programs for people or they've got great coffee and bookstores? They've got all these different things. I'm like, well, what if the bookstore goes away? What if the coffee changes? What if this? What if that? Do you leave the church? If you do, then that's why, that's what you're gathering unto. That's, the, that's, the, that's your... That's your, that's your, this is the center of your, your, your meeting in that church for you as an individual, but I'm, I'm getting off the point here. Um, it's just another, like the second row. Um, time for open ministry and worship during certain meetings of the assembly. Where does that pattern come from? That comes from 1 Corinthians 14. They, they, came, they came together, one stood, another stood. Okay? What does that point to? Well, it points to the spiritual principle that the Holy Spirit should lead us at some level in our worship and ministry. If you really believe the Holy Spirit can lead you, why don't you try to let him? Or at least be open to that. You see what I'm saying? Each of the aspects of the pattern points to a principle. And it's these principles that, man, if people get a hold of the idea that Christ is preeminent, that the Spirit is leading them, uh, that there's one body, um, that God is, 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 is sovereign and has an order. I mean, those are the kind of things that can change people's lives. My point is this. I think the 
pattern that was given to us in the New Testament does a good job at pointing our attention at the principles. And that by replacing it with our own modern versions, I don't know that we do as good of a job pointing our attention at spiritual principles as we think we do. Did you catch that? Oftentimes, the biblical pattern is simpler. It works on the mission field. It is not connected to certain things. It avoids certain problems. And it's nice for a person to be able to look at their life, look in the Bible, and they say, yeah, I'm doing this, I see it, and I see what it points to. Sure, you could replace, you you could do something else. You could have a great central leader of your local church, and then instead of having biblical eldership, you could put a big sign up on the wall that says, this man is not the center of the church, you know? That's your, that's your pattern. I mean, it would, it, would, you know, it would send the point while you were sitting in here and watching. But it, it's going to fail in some way. So that's our that's seventh point, is that the pattern points to the principle. And there's a whole lot of teaching to be done here. Mike, Mike Atwood has argued that the New Testament pattern for the church always elevates Christ. You'll see that in a number of ways. Um, it's the principles that radically transform local churches. And if you lose the principle, I think you start to sort of atrophy spiritually. Here's a word of warning, and then I'll give you the last point. Word of warning. You can have a church, an assembly, that has the pattern physically there, but they've lost hold of the principles. They're just going through the motions. You need to do both, I think. You need to practice the pattern and teach the principles. And keep pointing people at them. I think that's the best you can do. I think that will beat hands down all kinds of things that are going on in the church today. And let me give you, I haven't got a quote, but you can look up. You know, anybody know who Bill Hybels is? Bill Hybels is the leader of Willow Creek, probably the most popular church in America. And for the last decade or two, they have led the charge. They have been the flagship church in terms of seeker-sensitive church models. You know, in 2007, he came out and wrote an article or made a statement basically saying, you know what, the way we did it was wrong. I mean, it said it. He says, we basically felt people would grow spiritually if we got them involved in programs. They made all kinds of programs. I mean, there's a huge, like, flagship megachurch in America. And he comes and says, it didn't, it didn't translate into growth. Ephesians 4 talks about what translates into growth. It's where people practice and get, get engaged with their spiritual gifts. Obviously, there's a number of things that go, go into that. But I think they departed from the model. They got people in the building. But it came out in the laundry at some point, you know? You got ink in your pocket, it's going to come out in the laundry. It's, it's, it's that type of thing. Um, let's last point. Implementing the New Testament pattern for the church has a strong diagnostic value. This is interesting. I don't have a verse for this, Malcolm. I could probably find one, though. Well... If you start trying to put the New Testament's pattern into practice for your church, you're going to run into problems. There are going to be things that people are going to do because they don't understand, or they're not mature, or they're growing. Then your shepherds will begin to see things about people that they probably wouldn't have seen if you weren't putting the pattern into practice and can then shepherd people accordingly. If you have a local church with an open meeting format and people can stand up and share, somebody stands up and shares something that's ridiculous, you can do one of two things. You can be like, that was embarrassing. 
We're done with the New Testament pattern think. All right? Let's schedule worship. Let's tell people to say certain things. And this is happening in New Testament pattern churches. You come, you meet, you start, you have an open meeting format. We're going to worship, and it's just boring. It's dry. People are just giving out hymns left and right. Nobody seems to really be talking to God. There's no, there doesn't seem to be any, any authentic worship going on. So you could say it doesn't work unless put something mechanistic in its place. But, but what happened? You saw something about your group that you could deal with, that needs to be dealt with. There's, there's potential for a revival in your group because you had that pattern. And now, if you never had that pattern in place and you were just doing, you know, your, your, your meetings were all scheduled and, and, and all of your worship was in the hands of a couple talented musical people, you'll not, you're not going to know a lot about the state of the hearts of people that are coming. They're just going to sing the songs with you, and they're just going to, you know, they're going to just kind of do things. They're going to come and go. You're not going to know if people are coming on Sunday really ready to worship God. You're not going to know if people are walking in and, and you know, see what I'm saying? The pattern has a diagnostic value. If you talk about a veil, you bring up a veil, and people are going to walk in and they're going to say, what in the world are you people doing? Well, you automatically know they don't understand something about that. Or you might show that passage to somebody and they might say, I, I don't like that idea. Now you know something about them. You don't force them to do something, but you could say, all right, now we know something about this person that we didn't know before. If you weren't practicing that, you wouldn't know anything about the state of that woman's heart or her husband's heart. Men, men are like, I don't like that head covering thing. Now you know something about them. Uh, I mean, you can go through a lot of the aspects of the New Testament pattern for the church and realize that it actually exposes things about the group that you wouldn't know anything about if you weren't practicing the New Testament pattern for the church. So that is reason nine of nine reasons, and we're going to end now, and it's 5 till 1130, uh, of why you might want to practice the New Testament pattern for the church. My, my, my reasoning this morning has been to just sort of make a case for why we should care, why this should matter. We haven't talked so much about what the pattern is, have we? That's what this book is full of, and we'll talk about some of this stuff tomorrow, but I hope... Those nine points help. And as always, I'm more than willing to give you a copy of my notes. If anybody emails me, and you are free to add them, preach them, use them, modify them, give them back to me. Okay? Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, this morning we ask that you would help us in our day-to-day lives with emails and with Um, kids and with bills and jobs and meetings, Lord, and traffic and all these other things that just force themselves into our lives, some good, some bad. We ask that you would help us to find quiet times and quiet places to stop and be before your word and to value the things that you value. Lord, I ask that you to help this assembly here to grow in its passion for what you're doing on earth. Lord, help us to be biblical in our approach to other believers and how we talk about ourselves. Lord, keep us away from false doctrine. Keep us away from um, um, coldness or all kinds of things that can just be, be, be detrimental to us, Lord. Um, we pray these things this morning in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.